So what we're going to basically, in essence, we're going to do is we're going to study two words today from a passage, and it's literally going to take me all of the time that I have, so I want to dive right in. If you guys can turn in your Bibles to Micah chapter 6, Micah's in the Old Testament, it's a small book, and it's, it's surrounded by a bunch of other small books, so it can be hard to find, so there's no shame going to your table of contents in the beginning of your book and figuring out where it is. I can let you know on my Bible, it's on page 779, that helps. Micah chapter 6, and as you guys are turning there, I'll give you a little bit of uh, background on this book. It's a small book by a prophet named Micah. He lives about 23 miles southwest of Jerusalem, and he writes this letter to all of Israel. At the time uh, of the 8th century, which is when Micah wrote, he's a contemporary with Isaiah and Hosea, other prophets, Isaiah being the, the larger of those two prophets and more well-known. Jesus quoted Isaiah all the time. So Micah's in this like 750 B.C. is about when his ministry uh, starts. And, and, uh, and he's writing to all of Israel. At this time, the kingdom had split into two kingdoms. There was a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. One of the capitals was Jerusalem. The other was Samaria. Samaria. If you know from Jesus' time, those two ended up hating each other because of that rivalry and so many bad blood things that had happened over time. But he writes to all of them. And basically what's going on here in Israel in this time is that, is that the people are living in towns. They have you know, houses and, 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 and they have lives going on. They have jobs. And, and they think that they're doing okay on the outside. But, but reality... On the inside, they're super far away from God, and they're really just going through the motions. And probably they're like us when we do that, when we're just going through the motions. They're frustrated. They feel distant to God. There's probably a lot of people that said, I don't know about this Jewish, this Jewish thing. Like, 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 I know my mom wants me to be a good Jew, but, but like it's so hard, and I've tried that thing, and I kind of have given up. A lot of them are like that because they're trying and they're, and they're chasing in, in, in a way that's not authentic. They're, they're kind of just like shallow, uh, going through the motions, uh, like not Christians, but Jews at that time. And Micah comes as really a gift from God. You ever had somebody who tells you what you need to hear, but it's not what you want to hear? That's kind of what Micah is. Micah's telling them what they need to hear, but it's not really what they want to hear because he's being really honest. And when you're honest about someone's life, when their life's got some, you know, some things that you need to have a hard conversation about, sometimes it can be unpleasant, but Micah does it in a really cool way. And, uh, and we're going to find ourselves right in the, the heart of this letter, really, in Micah chapter 6. And to give a little context, I think in my notes, I, if you have those, you can pull it out. This is called context prep work. Now we're going to get to two words, but you need to understand really the, the context in order to, to really feel the weight of these two words we're going to study. So, so he starts off in, in uh, chapter 6, Micah, verse 1, he goes, Hear what the Lord says. He's talk, talking to all of the Jewish people. Hear what the Lord says. Now right here, last week we talked a little bit about this. The word here, right here, is the word Shema. Right? If you're Jewish and you heard Shema to, to, to you, you would, have, you would have already thought of like Deuteronomy chapter 6. It was something that they memorized. 
as, as a time they were a kid, they remember, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And you should teach these things to your kids and to your family and to your neighbors. And you should do this like when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night and all the time. It's the Shema. They, they would have memorized this. And so they would have thought about this when, when he's talking about this. And, and I want to... Just suggest, we don't know for sure what Mike is doing, but I think he does this on purpose. He goes, Shema, what the Lord says. He's already been saying, like, you guys have fallen away from God and your hearts are so far from God and you need to return. And so he, he comes in and he kind of starts with this, this familiar sounding Shema, what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Shema, the mountains. The indictment of the Lord. Now, Shema, it, 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 it means, it's translated listen or hear, but we learned, last week, we learned that it's much more than, than just hearing sounds. It's not just the understanding the sounds that are going on. It's hearing with the intent of obeying. Right? We looked at it last week, like when your kids go, when you, when you tell them, go clean your room, and they're playing video games, and they go, okay, right? And you come back an hour later, and they're still sitting there playing video games. Well, they heard you. But they didn't smile, right? They didn't hear and then go do what you told them to do. And that's, that's kind of what he's saying. He's like, listen, and, 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 and to the point where you're ready to make some changes. And he goes in verse, in verse 3, he goes, Oh, my people. This is God talking to his people tenderly with love. The people he loves. Oh, my people. What have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. If you have your notes, the first thing in your notes is what in this section is that he's, he, Micah is doing. He's saying, remember God's steadfast love for you. Remember God's steadfast love for you. That's how he starts this off. And he, he starts by saying, remember, remember when I brought you out of Egypt. Remember you were slaves. Remember, I saved you the parting of the Red Sea. I sent you Moses, and he led you, and I taught you. I made a covenant with you. And then he goes, he goes, uh, Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, uh, answered him. Right? Uh, uh, this king, uh, Balak, what, what had happened, if you read in the Old Testament, he had set out to curse Israel. He wasn't a godly king. He was a king of Moab, their enemies. And he gets this guy named Balaam, and he says, Balaam, because you have spiritual powers, curse them, and I'll give you money. Well, Balaam doesn't want to do it, but he, it's a king, and, and it, you can lose your head for not obeying the king. So he goes up to do it, and God won't let him do it. God stops him, and he ends up blessing Israel. Even, listen... Even when, when the world seems like it's all against you and, and coming at you and you have enemies, God is on has your back and he won't let them crush you. Remember that, he's saying. And then look what he says. He goes, and remember what happened from Shittim to Gilgal. What happened there was when they were walking in 40 years in the wilderness, in Shittim was a time when, when Israel turned their back on God and they made some bad choices and they wandered away from God. And then Gilgal was a time not that long after when God actually restores them and renews them back. 
How many of you guys have a testimony where you made some bad decisions and you walked away from God and you were unfaithful, but God was always faithful to you and brought you back? That's your shittim to Gilgal. We, we can relate to this. God has saved us. Through the blood of Jesus, the Passover was, 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 was what God used as an illustration when Jesus came. Remember, Jesus saved you would be the New Testament interpretation. Remember when life gets so hard, but I continue to make you not be crushed, but to thrive. I've gotten you through everything that you've gotten through. Remember the times when you were unfaithful and you walked away from God and God was so faithful, he brought you back. You guys there with me? We can be in this story that was written so long ago. So he says, remember, remember God's steadfast love for you. And letter B, the next section is this. Penance without repentance is empty religion. In other words, these people, we're assuming, are going to go like, okay, I remember God's love, and now what do we do? We, we, we admit it. You ever been there? I admit it. I'm a mess. My life's far off. I, I, I need some help. But what do we do? He starts in verse uh, 6. Micah goes, and he kind of gets in, in, in the attitude. He describes the attitude of the people at this time. This is your response, but it's not quite right. He goes, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn son for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The answer, obviously, in the, in the context here is no, that's not the answer. What he's describing is all of these external religious type activities. And he's saying, look, if you're going to just go to work on Monday and, and, and be all corrupt like they were at that time, there was a lot of corruption. They were justifying all kinds of things like, on, like we do with our taxes, right? Like we justify all the things that aren't really right, but we've come so far and now it's just, it's fine. Everyone does it, right? And that's how they're, that's, how, that's where they're at in so many ways. And even worse, they're oppressing the poor. The rich are getting richer and the poor are, are being oppressed, not only because they're, they're, they're not working hard, but because they don't have an opportunity. There's no opportunity for the poor because the rich people have taken over and they've changed all the rules and the judges and everything's become corrupt to where they don't even have a chance. And God's like, that's not right. That's your own people. And you've come so far. And, and it's not okay to just come to church on Sunday and raise your hands and put a bunch of money in the plate and then keep living like that. In other words, he's saying penance, which is trying to do external things to please God. If you, if you replace true repentance. Now repentance is what repentance is. Even if you think you know what repentance is, listen here and see if this isn't, isn't right. Repentance is a turning away in, at a heart level. At a heart level. It's turning away from the things that are away from God. And it's turning towards God. It's literally making a, a, a heart level change where we say, God, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to live for you. That's repentance. That's what he's calling them to. And yet they don't want to repent. They just want to do like, you know, some external behavior modifications. He's like, it's not going to work. If you think that it's only the, Catholic, the Roman Catholics who do penance, you are so wrong. I am guilty of it all the time. 
Anytime you walk away from the grace of God, anytime you forget the grace of God, you're turning towards this type of like penance. When you think that, you know, like, like, like I know God saves me, but I got to just like start behavior modifying so that I can be right with God. Grace is this. It's standing before God with the full knowledge that there's nothing in that moment that you can do to make yourself, to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing that you could do to make him love you any less. Because he loves you based on who he is, not based on your righteous activity, your penance. So changing your behavior is a great thing, but it's not going to fix your issues with God. The only thing that is, is falling before this God and, 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 and pleading for his mercy and his grace and repenting. So the last one thing in your notes, this is all just context getting the two words. I hope you're excited. I am. Worshippers do in response to God's love and mercy. I think that's what Micah's heart here, what he's trying, what he's saying, is that true worshipers aren't ones who just do a bunch of religious activity. They're not who they're not the people who stand up and, and sing. That's all great if you do that. There's nothing wrong with that, but you can do that and not be worshiping. You could be doing that just as an external behavior modification, and it's not real. But worshipers, real worshipers, they do in response to God's love and mercy. Now, I'll give you a couple of New Testament uh, texts for this that, that say this, I think, very clearly. Paul tells Titus this in Titus 3.5. He goes, God saved us not because of works done by us, in righteousness, not by a type of penance, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Like God alone can renew you, can give you a second chance, can, can, can give you a do-over, can, 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 can refresh you, can, can reconcile you to himself. God alone can do that, but it's based on his mercy, not based on your righteous act. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this is a very popular verse. It goes like this. Paul, again speaking, he goes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or the NIV, I like the way that they say it. They say, this is an ESV translation, but the NIV, they say, in view of God's mercies, let us, mercies, because there's lots of them, Right? You don't just need one. We need lots of them. In view of that, in view of his love and mercies, let us offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Right? Let us do because of his mercy, not to earn his mercy. Sit on that a second. Because it's so far against our human nature that I fall into this trap daily. If you don't think you fall into this trap daily, think a little harder. I bet you you do. We, we get guilty, and here's, here's when you know. The pattern is, and it comes all the way from Adam and Eve, is when we sin, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? What was their response? They felt shame. They hid from God. If you don't see that pattern in your life because you're human, then 
please open your eyes and see that, that we do that all the time. We don't literally move, but, but we just kind of distance ourselves from God. We, we let this chasm happen in our relationship with God. Every time we make a mistake and we're aware of it, rather than deal with it with repentance to a loving God, it's just much easier to kind of just like get busy doing something else. You know, you know what avoiding God looks like? It looks like being busy. How many of you are busy? Me too. It's a heart issue, guys. But we do, because we're saved, not to be saved, is kind of the, the heart here. So, so, so now you can just see, he, he, he references this Shema, I think, and, and, he, and he says, look, uh, remember how, how much God loves you. Remember his mercy, really. It's kind of like what Paul's saying. View his mercy for just one second here. Remember how good he's been to you. And then let that become a response. Don't, don't think, okay, now what, what are, what, like, what's, the, what's the minimum that I have to do to get right with God? You ever do that? It's like haggling with God. Like, I want those shoes at the swap meet, right? They're $90. Would you take $40? let us meet halfway. If you don't think you do that with God, I mean, like, our, most of us have a swap meet relationship with God is what I'm saying. This all the time are like, hey, God, have you ever done it like this? I have the flu. A God, I'm serious this time. You take this flu away, and that would be so good. You, you've never done that? I do that. I still do that. I hate the flu. And so he goes, look, it's not going to, it's got to be a response to his love and mercy, nothing else. And so it's almost like you would say, well, what does that response look like then? Now we get to our text. He goes, Micah 6, 8. He goes, he has told you. If you have your Bible, write down, right there, read your Bible. Right? He has told you some things. Did you know that this is God's word and he's told you some things? Right there, he's like, like have you guys not been reading your Bibles? Right? If you guys have been reading your Bibles, you probably are, wouldn't be asking these questions. But since you haven't, let me just bring that up. He has told you. He could have just went, go read it. And went home. But he doesn't because he's a good shepherd. He goes, he has told you, oh man, what is good. Now our, 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 our sermon series is called The Good Life. But it's not about like seven steps to having an awesome life. It's really just laying that down and saying, oh, God has an idea of what... What, what he wants my life to look like, and that's what I want. The good life is the good life in God's eyes. And that's really what he's saying. He goes, he has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Last week we dug into do justice. Today the two words we're going to dig into are love kindness. What does it look like to love kindness the way that uh, Micah is teaching us to love kindness? Now the first thing, if you have your Bible and you have a different translation, you might, mine says love kindness, yours might say love mercy. Love mercy. The reason it's like that, there's two different ones, is because it comes from a Hebrew word. It's translated into English as, uh, as kindness or mercy in this sense. But the Hebrew word is chesed. He's literally saying, love chesed. And chesed cannot be translated into English very well. 
literally, the, every commentator says the word kindness and the word mercy are, 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 are they pale in comparison to the description of what is chesed. Chesed is much deeper than that. It, it, it's, there's 250 uh, references to chesed in the, in the Old Testament. Most of them are in the Psalms. It's not always translated uh, mercy or kindness. Because it's too full for just one English word. I want to spend our time really digging into this word. When he says love chesed, what really is that? Because if we say love kindness, we're going to say, all right, guys, smile more, high five, let's go. Right? Uh, uh, give bigger tips to everybody, right? Like, be nice, right? Like, mean people, right? We, we got a bumper sticker, mean people are not nice. Like, oh, yeah. Obviously, I should make that bumper sticker, right? Mean people aren't nice. No, it is such a deeper word. Chesed. So we're going to look at three kind of ways it's used in the Old Testament and try to understand what Micah might be saying to us. So the first thing in your notes is that chesed is oftentimes translated steadfast love. Steadfast love. Many Hebrew uh, scholars say that the word chesed is the best word to describe God's covenant relationship with His people. We, we, if, we, if you were to say, uh, how would you describe the way that God is towards His people, the word chesed would be the best one word, if you can only use one word. It, it means steadfast love. Number one in there is this. Chesed is a rugged commitment. Think about it that way. I got that term from uh, Scott McKnight in his book, A Fellowship of the Difference. He says, love, the covenant love that God has for us, he said, is a rugged commitment. It's the time of commitment when, when you're a dad and your boy is strung up on heroin and you show up at 3 o'clock in the morning at the ER and they tell you that they found him in the daddy's bathroom strung out and he wasn't breathing. The paramedics brought him back to life and now this is the fourth time this month and you still show up. He said. It's the type of love of a wife whose, whose husband has gone off his rocker, maybe he's going through a midlife crisis, or he's just being a, a, a moron, and he, and, he, and he leaves you and the kids and goes off and, and has a season where he's off. And, and you just sit there and you pray, and you tell him, hey, pray, he's off, but I, but, but I want this to work. That's chesed. It's a rugged commitment. Think about the relationship of God to his people. It could be described as a rugged commitment. Matter of fact, in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God describes himself this way. Now this is, this is a, a, a passage of second, of second chances. If you know the story about Moses, Moses got the Ten Commandments from God and took about 40 days. He comes down the mountain with two tablets that God wrote... I think that would be a pretty good moment. Matter of fact, he's glowing, it says. And he's cruising down the mountain. He stops, but he gets eyesight. And he realizes 40 days has been too long for the people. And they start making out of gold their own calf to worship. And he's so broken by this that he drops the plates that God wrote. Right? If you're Indiana Jones, you're like... <gasps> he drops them and they break. Now, before you're too harsh on the Israelites, think about this. Have you ever sought God, but it's taken too long, so you went another route? I have. 
And that's what's happening. And yet God is a God of a rugged commitment, so he does not give up on the people. Though Moses wants to give up on the people, he brings them back and, and, he, and he gets a second chance. And this is the second time he's getting those Ten Commandments. It says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The word is chesed. And faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, chesed, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Do a Bible study on that if you think that's about generational curses. I don't think that it is. It's actually all it's saying is that you, because you're human, are a sinner. You, 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 you inherit that from, from your parents, being a sinner. In other words, you don't sin, you don't become a sinner because you sin, you sin because you're a sinner. That's what he's basically saying. He's like, this is something, you're, you're a sinner by nature and by, by, by action. And he says, but God still loves you. In that state, when we're far from God, he loves us that way. He's, he's based on grace and mercy. He's mercy and gracious. Mercy and and grace and patience, right? And second chances. This is our God. This is all wrapped up in, in, in chesed, steadfast love. You might say it like this to use Paul's language in Romans 12:1. In view of God's rugged commitment to you, live for him. Respond, live for him. In view of his mercies, his rugged commitment, his chesed. Live for Him. And we're going to see that one of the best ways to express that live for Him is by loving others with the same type of chesed. The letter B in your notes is this. Another realm of this word chesed is it's undeserved. It's undeserved mercy and grace. Literally chesed is a compassion that leads to action. As I was studying, I found something very interesting. There's a story in Luke chapter 10, verse 29. You'll, you'll probably see it, become uh, familiar with this story as we're reading it. But I want to see how it connects with, this is probably what I'm saying is, the best picture that I can find in the Bible of what Micah is saying. When he goes, love kindness. This is like a story that basically revolves around what that looks like. It starts like this. But this Pharisee, this lawyer who was trying to, he was, he was trying to basically, uh, he was opposing uh, Jesus publicly and verbally. That's what it's talking about. It says, but he. But this Pharisee, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Remember Jesus had said, love God and love your neighbor. Yeah, but who's my neighbor, right? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a very dangerous trip. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead, right? He got beat up. He got, he got, he got beat up real bad to where he was almost dead. He needed medical attention. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. Now, if you're going from Jerusalem to Jericho, there, that, that's a clue. You're Jewish. You're, you're, you're not from Samaria, you're from, you're from Jerusalem. You're from that side of the kingdom, right? That's your history. 
And when a, leaf, when, a, when a priest shows up, you would have been like, yeah! Like, like if you were stranded on an island, right, and, you, and, and no one was there, and you, were, you thought you were left for dead, and all of a sudden a plane flies by, that's what it would have been like. Hope would have filled your heart. You would have started, like, smoke signals and, and like, check me out. I'm, I'm, I'm saved. That's what it would have felt like. It says, now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He avoided him. And it says, another one, a Levite came, and he did the same thing. He went on the other side. But a Samaritan, remember, Samaritans would not associate with Jews. They wouldn't help them. They were enemies. That's, that, that's, that's the culture. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. I would say compassion that leads to action. Because this is what he does next. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, this is Jesus talking now to the Pharisee, he goes, I tell you this story, and he goes, now, which of these three, the Levite who avoided him, the priest who avoided him, or the Samaritan who took care of him, he goes, which one of these, which one of these was a neighbor to the man who fell? The Pharisee who, who was far from God, he even got, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and likewise do the same. He showed him mercy. He had compassion. It moved to action. The person who was describing it later, he said what he did was he had mercy. This word mercy is a Greek word because in the New Testament. But when they translate the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, Micah 6.8 uses the same word. As we get love, mercy, love, kindness, chesed. In other words, this, this, this Jew was saying, he's the one who showed chesed. That kindness, that compassion that led to action. Chesed. The way that you would probably look at this and say, how do I apply this personally? It goes like this. It's simple. Treat others better than they deserve. In other words, God's treated you better than you deserve. And he's saying, now go and treat others better than they deserve. And culturally, the Samaritan would have easily looked at the Jew and said, he's my enemy, he doesn't deserve my help, and walked on by. He's the one who should have walked on by. The other one should have said, he has mercy on me, he's a brother, he's a fellow Jew, they should have helped. But even this Pharisee was able to recognize, no, 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 loving kindness has said, it doesn't matter if they, if they deserve it. Anyone know someone who doesn't deserve your kindness? I can think of a few. Like, wives, what would it be like if you treated your husbands better than they deserve? Because we don't normally do that. Because when you come into counseling, you, yeah, but what he did was, you tell me all about how he doesn't deserve it. You don't start with like, even though he doesn't deserve it, I'm going to just do what's right anyways. Chesed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a rugged commitment. Right? At work. I, I do this. This is confession time. Repentance time. 
Kenny sometimes goes to work and gets a bad attitude because things aren't going the way that he wanted to, and maybe somebody doesn't treat him the way that he deserves, and Kenny doesn't always have the best kindness attitude. He doesn't always treat people better than they deserve. He, usually he's, he's just. Do justice. I like that one. <laughs> but I don't know what the love has said. But treat others better than they deserve. And lastly, we see that it requires an intentional kindness. Love kindness is an intentional a kindness. Chesed is a love for others stemmed from a love for God. In other words, what I'm saying is like this. God loves you deeply. Chesed. He loves you because of His grace and His mercy. He's patient with you. If you're far off from God right now, He wants you back. And He's made a way. And there's only one way. It's Jesus. And here's, here's a little side note. It shouldn't shock us like it does for some people. We're not narrow-minded, is what I'm saying, for saying that there's only one way, and it's through Jesus. What should be shocking is that there is a way. One way is enough, especially a perfect way like Jesus' blood. Right? But God loves us that way. The normal response, and we can figure this out. When you realize how much God loves you, the appropriate response is to love Him back, to love God. Right? And what he's really saying, he's building on that, is if you really love God, it's going to overflow into a love for others, even those who don't deserve it. Because God's love for you, even though you don't deserve it, makes you love Him and be willing to love others, even though they don't deserve it. And there's a text for this in 1 John 4, 19-20. We love because He first loved us. Right? He loved us. We didn't love Him first. He loved us. Our response was that we loved Him. And he says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. And he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. The overflow response of loving God will be to love what it says your brother. And then you might go, yeah, but who's my brother? Now you've got to get a good Samaritan story. Who's my neighbor? Oh, the one who had chesed, even though he didn't deserve it. That's what it looks like. To love kindness. Love and treat others as you want to be loved and treated. How many of you guys have heard that, right? It's called the golden rule for a reason. Jesus goes, love, love, and treat people like you would want to be treated. Now this is interesting because in Jesus' time, you know, Jesus was a rabbi. There was a really famous rabbi a generation before Jesus named Hillel. Hillel was a Jewish rabbi. He's still, amongst the Jews, they still quote him. He's like a Charles Spurgeon for Jews. Like he's the most quotable, tweeted guy. Hillel. And Hillel has all these fancy sayings. And one time he goes like this. They ask him, how should we treat others? He goes, here's, here's a good rule, a good way to live by. Don't do anything to someone else you wouldn't want them to do to you. Now, when Jesus takes that to the next level, doesn't he? He goes, no, don't just not do bad stuff to them. Intentionally do kind things to them. Like you would want them to do to you. That's what chesed 
looks like. We'll have the worship team come back up. My conclusion for the last two weeks, and we have one more week to go to do justice and to love kindness is this. Last week we learned that to do justice, the best way to look at that, to do justice is to do what's right in God's eyes. So we could say it like this. Micah might be teaching us this. When he says it, he goes, love God, desiring to do what is right in his eyes. And love others as Jesus has loved you. That's basically what Micah was saying. And I think perhaps, this will be my last closing remark. I think perhaps the reason why Micah says it like this, he goes, he doesn't go like Jesus said, he goes, love God and love others. He could have just said that. That would have been simple. But they knew the Shema. And it had come, I think it had become so familiar to them that it was just something that they said over and over again and they didn't take it to heart. So I believe perhaps Micah is taking another route and saying the same thing in a totally different way. He's saying love God. Do justice. Love God. And want to do what's right in His eyes. And love others the way God has loved you with chesed.